Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews, chapter 11. We're looking at one verse, chapter 20. And considering blind faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your goodness, and especially in the goodness of giving us your ordinances. We thank you that it is through the word of promise that your ordinances are effectual. So we pray that you would pour out the Spirit, that our hearts, by faith in your promise, may be benefited from the ordinance of preaching. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is often said, and I'm sure you've heard many times, that all we have to do is take a blind leap of faith. This is what most people believe faith is. Faith is simply a blind um, uh, commitment to something, and it's blind to all reason, it's blind to all evidences, it's blind to everything except its own desire. This is what many think faith is. This, however, as I'm sure you're aware, is not the faith that saves. A blind leap of faith could result in a pleasant dip in the lake. You could take a blind leap of faith off a cliff and go for a nice swim. It could also result in crashing upon the rocks below. The faith that saves, the faith that you and I are interested in, is not a blind trust in ourselves. Rather, it is a faith that trusts in what it sees in the Word, though blind to the future. The faith that saves trusts in what it sees in the Word, though blind to the future. Now, this saving faith that is based upon the Word and is blind to the particular outcomes of our lives is the faith that saves. It is a true faith, but it can also be mixed with much blindness. Not only the future, but also by our own carnal desires and wicked intentions. These are things that can blind a true and saving faith. We can walk as those who have one eye on heaven and another eye on earth. And I'm sure as your parents taught you when you were driving, pay attention. This is how Isaac was at the end of his days. Isaac, at the end of his days, was a man that had true saving faith. He's a son of the covenant. He's a patriarch of the covenant. We will meet him in glory as the Lord Jesus Christ said. But, at the end of his days, he was a blind man. A blind father is a very sad sight. It predicts a bad future for his children. But, though our earthly fathers be blind, we have a heavenly father who overrules them 
and their carnal blindness and their wicked designs. Our Heavenly Father, the true source of blessing in this life and the next, overrules our lesser fathers through His all-powerful and blinding providence. How He does that and what our duty is in the midst of these things is what we learn in this passage. Specifically, what we're going to learn is that Isaac, though blind through his carnal affections, by a true faith, though blind by his wicked intention, rightly blessed his sons according to God's blinding providence. I'll say that again. I know that was a mouthful. Isaac, though blind through his carnal affections, by a true faith, though blind by his wicked intention, rightly blessed his sons according to God's blinding providence. We're going to see three things in this one verse, and some of this is background to understand the glory of this passage. Blind Isaac, blind faith, and blinding providence. Blind Isaac, blind faith, and a blinding providence. And so we begin with blind Isaac. Now you'll notice this is only one verse in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Part of what the author is doing in the book of Hebrews is recounting for his Jewish audience Old Testament stories that he assumes they are very familiar with. Now this Hebrew audience, just as Paul the Apostle was and and every good Hebrew boy and girl, was saturated in the Old Testament. It's probably regarded that just as we memorize our shorter catechisms or try to memorize our shorter catechisms, Hebrew children in the ancient days, they would have probably memorized vast portions of the Old Testament. The book of Genesis certainly would have been well known to all of these, uh, all the members of his audience. And so he makes this very slim reference to Isaac, so we need to go back a little bit and remember what the story of Isaac is, especially at this point. So turn with me. Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4. Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4. We read the story of Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau. Moses tells us this about the patriarch Isaac. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. That he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. Now one of the first things you need to notice here is that Moses points out Isaac's physical blindness. In Old Testament narrative, physical blindness is often a sign of spiritual blindness. It shows up again in the Gospels. We read the account in John chapter 9. In the John series, there was a blind man, and Christ restored his sight, illustrating the blindness of the Pharisees. Well, likewise, in this passage, similar story in 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, with the priest Eli. He's old, fat, and blind. Well, Isaac, likewise, is old and blind. 
We read a little bit further, though, in this very passage, we learn what the blindness really is. Keep reading. Verse 2, then he said, Behold, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food, such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Notice that uh, Isaac is intending to bless Esau because of the food that Esau provides. Give me food such as I love. You'll know throughout the scriptures in the New Testament especially, serving the belly is a metaphor for carnality and self-centeredness. Romans 16, verse 4, Paul speaks about those that cause divisions, and he says that they do not serve the Lord Christ, but they serve their own bellies. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says that the enemies of the cross are those whose God is their belly. And so the belly and food are often a metaphor for carnality, and Isaac is going to bless Esau because of his belly. Furthermore, you see that Isaac is choosing this because of the food that he loves. This is his carnality, and this is his blindness. This is blinding Isaac. We're going to see a little bit further how this blinds him to what the Lord's intentions are. Now, we need to be uh, very careful here. Look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses... 13 and 16. Remember that the belly is a metaphor for carnality. It is not carnality itself. Deer meat is good. A tasty sake is a blessing when it's used in a godly manner. But what carnality is, James writes for us in 3, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Keep reading. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, carnal, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. My concern is that some of you are in this state. With the confusion of recent events... We conclude that there are some operating blindly by their carnal affections. It is evident in words and actions. Remember what Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians. He says, O Corinthians, are you not carnal? One of you says I'm of Paul, and one of you says I'm of Apollos. One of you says I'm of Peter, and one of you says I'm of Jesus. And Paul's response is, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Peter? The answer is no. And Paul says these divisions are signs of carnality. Repent, lest your blindness leads you into a ditch. Now returning to Hebrews chapter 11. Though Isaac is very carnal when he moves to blessing his sons, his carnality does not nullify his saving faith. His carnality doesn't render his faith void or vain. As John Owen writes on this, 
he notes a couple of things. True faith does not depend upon the man in whom it resides. True saving faith is grounded upon the Word of God. True saving faith doesn't look to ourselves, it looks to the Word of God. The object of faith, which it looks to, is the Word of Promise. And we remember in the life of Isaac, this Word of Promise was given to Isaac by Abraham, and it was confirmed to him as the next patriarch. Genesis 26, 23 through 25, the Lord appears to Isaac and says, I am the God of your father Abraham, and I will be with you and I will bless you, your seed after you. The promise is to him and his seed, and that through him and his seed, blessing would come to the world. So at this level, Isaac does have true faith. He's looking to the word of the promise. Through me and my offspring, God will bring about blessing. Note, however, this is very important. The promise given to Isaac doesn't descend to particulars. The promise is generic. Through you and your seed. And so at one level, he's got two sons. And so at one level, there is a true faith that says, through me and my offspring, blessing will come. It is in general the seed of Isaac. One of the other things to notice, notice about Isaac's true faith. After God gives him this word of promise in Genesis 26, verse 25, what is Isaac's immediate response? Isaac's immediate response is to build an altar and worship. So not only is the object of faith given to Isaac the word of promise, but Isaac then, through a diligent use of the means of grace, strengthens that faith. God gives him the promise, and Isaac prays. And so the, through the use of the means of grace, Isaac's faith is strengthened. Brothers and sisters, your faith does not depend upon you. If blind carnal Isaac is in the hall of the faithful, your faith does not depend upon you. Now, many often mistake faith for their own emotions. Many often mistake faith uh, for what they feel. They'll say that I have faith because I feel like I have faith. This results in a constant search for emotional experiences and expressions from the church or from others to affirm this type of faith which is based in emotion. But the faith of God's elect is far otherwise. It is not based on our emotions. Rather, it is based in the Word of God and it is strengthened in the use of the means of grace. In every way, therefore, true faith looks away from itself and to God, the one that it trusts in. Some of you need to check your hearts at this time. You're convinced that you're walking in faith because you feel like you're walking in faith. All of us need to check our hearts at this time. You have faith in your faith, but not in the Word. On the other hand, some of you need not to judge your brothers because they don't share your emotional response to the things happening among us. 
One is not walking in faith because they are passionate about it. One is not walking in faith because their emotions are cooler than you would expect. One is not wrong because their emotions are heightened. One is not correct because his emotions are less visible. Faith looks to the Word of God. And the standard of a sincere faith is also the Word of God. When you judge, do not look on the outward appearance. For the Lord looks not at the outward appearance, but at the heart. So Isaac is blind. And yet he has a true saving faith. We move to our next point, a blind faith. Though Isaac has a true faith based in the promise, it is blind through his wicked intention. Recall that he intends to bless Esau. Now Isaac's intention to bless Esau, as we already read, is based on his carnal love of food. It's based on a carnal appetite for the things Esau provides. He intends to bless Esau, but also remember, there were many clear signs that God gave to Isaac by which Isaac should have known. In fact, I think he does know. Esau is not the promised son. Esau is not the one who should get the blessing. Consider Genesis 25, when Rebekah was struggling in her uh, pregnancy, she prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered her. Two nations are in your womb, the elder shall serve the younger. That was the first indication that the younger brother is the one who should receive the blessing. Now, I think it should be obvious, husbands and wives talk. And ladies, if God had given you a vision explaining your pregnancy difficulties, I'm sure you would talk to your husband. Isaac knew about this. Secondly, the circumstances of their birth in Genesis 25, verse 26. Esau comes out, but uh, Jacob puts out his hand and grabs his heel. A providential sign that Jacob would supplant Esau. Furthermore, in verses 32 through 34, Esau's profane selling of his birthright. Turn to that passage. Genesis 26, I'm sorry, 25, 32, and 34. Genesis 25, 32, and 34. Esau said, look, I'm about to die, and what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him, he sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate, drank, arose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Like father, like son. Serving the belly and opposing the Lord's providence. So Isaac should have known. Esau is not the one who gets this blessing. Finally, uh, in chapter 26, verse 34, Esau's marriage to Canaanite wives. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac should have known. In all of these things, the express command of God the fruit of Esau's life and choices, Isaac knew what he intended to do was wicked. It was purposed in the face of the word and the providence of God. Now, just like with Isaac's carnality, it would be easy to think his faith is not true. Likewise, with his wicked intention, it would be easy to think 
his faith is not true. Though he was directed by a wicked intention, there was a true faith at work in Isaac. He was conferring a blessing which his office as patriarch gave him the right to do. He was functioning in the covenantal economy as the patriarch who received the blessing and then passes it on to the next in line. Secondly, as it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 20, he blessed his sons concerning things to come. He blessed his sons concerning the future. The patriarch could only give to his sons what he himself had. At this time, all he has is the word of promise, summarized in the birth of Christ. You remember the word of promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers. Through you and your offspring, I will bless all the families of the earth. So the summary of the promise to Isaac, the summary of the blessing he's giving to his sons, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul argues this way in Galatians 3, verse 8, 13 and 14, and verse 16. He says that the promise to Abraham was that through your seed, he doesn't say multiple seeds, he says one seed, and that seed was Christ. Now pause at this point. This, what I want you to see in Isaac's heart, though he's carnal, though he has a wicked intention, there is a true faith because he's intending to bless Esau with the gospel. That's what Isaac is doing. He's doing it wrong, but he is intending to do the right thing, though it's the wrong Son, there's great encouragement for fathers here. A father's heart has many hopes and dreams for his sons. There are many particular things, many particular ways in which a father wants his son to be better than him, to have a better life than he had. But, fathers, We don't have any particular promises to that effect. We don't have any specific promises that says your son will be wealthy, your son will be intelligent, your son will be successful, your son will be famous. We have no promises to that effect. But we do have Christ. We do have the promise of the gospel. And to bless our sons with Christ is the greatest blessing a father could give. Listen to Patrick Henry. As a father of his own house, he was dying just down the way at Red House. And after he disposed all of his earthly possessions, he said, this is all the inheritance I can give to my dear family. The religion of Christ can give them one which will make them rich indeed. Fathers, bless your sons with the gospel. Bless them with Christ. You may want to give them piles of cash, a car, a house, all the things you want to do to establish them as successful men. Don't put your hope in those things. Put your hope for your sons in Christ. Patrick Henry not only blessed his family with Christ as the father of his house, he also blessed America as one of the fathers of our country with the same blessing. Listen to what Patrick Henry said. After his will, they found a copy of his resolutions, May 29, 1765, against the Stamp Act. 
Patrick Henry seemed to care for the preservation of no other evidence of his public service. This was the one thing he wanted to hang on to. And the endorsement was his parting address to his countrymen. After stating that they established the point of resistance to British taxation and brought on the war which established American independence. Understand what, why this was so important to Patrick Henry. In his mind, his resolutions against the Stamp Act was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the point of contention that brought about the war for independence and established the American nation. And he said this about them. He added these memorable, memorable words which cannot be too often recalled by every American citizen. Whether independence will prove a blessing or a curse will depend upon the use our people make of the blessings which a gracious God has bestowed on us. If they are wise, they will be great and happy. If they are of a contrary character, they will be miserable. Righteousness alone can exalt them as a nation. Reader, whoever thou art, remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. Patrick Henry thought the most important thing for the nation that he birthed and brought into existence was not money or guns, was not trade or wealth. It was righteousness and virtue through Christ. The greatest blessing a father can give And so, fathers, you have no promise that your sons will be wealthy. But you do have a promise that God will be a father to them. Bless them in this, and do not fear for the future. Now, returning to Hebrews 11, verse 20, we've seen that Isaac is blinded by his carnality. His faith is blinded by a wicked intention. And yet, through all of this, God's purposes are not undone. Through God, the Heavenly Father's blinding providence, His purposes are still accomplished. And that's what we turn to now. Some of you may have done a little bit of math in your day. Two plus two, simple enough equation. Two plus two plus two. Also a simple equation, but it gets a little more complicated. If you've ever looked at some of the theoretical mathematics and some of the very complex equations that mathematicians work with, they fill dry erase boards surrounding the room. They're incredibly complex, and the complexity is blinding. The, the sheer number of variables and all of the various factors that go into getting the right answer can blind you in all of its glorious complexity. That's what God's providence is like. It is a blinding providence because it is so intricately complex and takes care of every single variable that has to come to pass for his purposes to be accomplished. God's overruling providence, using a blind father, blindly following his wicked heart, was able to convey his covenantal blessing upon the right son. This is what Paul says in Romans 11. When he comes to the end, he's speaking about God's providence in the Jews, that they're the sons of the promise, but they've been given to disobedience, and now you Gentiles are grafted in, and then one day they'll be grafted in, and then he says, Oh, the riches of the wisdom of God, who can search his ways? 
Who was his counselor that first gave to him? Who can he who who is in who is God indebted to that he should repay him? All the wonders of God's providence. And Paul, blinded by the glory, falls down in worship and says, God is able to work all of this out. Because he is God. And his purposes are never undone. Likewise, in this episode, with Isaac blessing Esau and Jacob. Isaac is blind and wicked and yet ends up blessing Jacob. Rebekah is desperate and deceptive and yet obtains the blessing for Jacob. Jacob, maintaining his deception to the very end, I encourage you to go back and read Genesis 27. It is a haunting story. It is haunting how long Jacob keeps this up. He puts on the clothes and he's outside of the tent And he says, come here. And Isaac's like, you sound like Jacob. No, no, I'm Esau. Come a little closer. Your hands, uh, 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 the the smell doesn't quite fit right. He says, no, no, I'm Esau. And then finally he gets right up next to him. And he kisses his father. A Judas kiss. Jacob, though deceptive, to the very end and dishonoring his dying father, gets the blessing that God promised to grant him. If you want more detail about this narrative, I encourage you to go back to the Genesis series. I I preached on this passage and read it this this very way. John Owen reads the story the same way. Short version, this thing's a mess. You've got sinners doing sinful things and being sinful towards one another, and yet over it all, God works it out for his purposes. Now, we'd be tempted to make two mistakes here. There's there's two mistakes we could make. Number one, we look at all these sins, and we could say that this family is outside of God's covenant. It would be tempting to do that. But remember, we and Isaac are under the covenant of grace, not the covenant of works. We are under the mercy of Jehovah. The one that we serve is long-suffering and slow to wrath. The God that we serve is neither surprised nor frustrated with the sins of his people. And it is in fact part of his blinding providence that he even uses the sins of his people and his enemies to accomplish his ultimate purposes. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verses 22 through 24. Peter is preaching to Israel, the children of the covenant. Blind and carnal Isaac, as it were. Who, though they have had all the clear signs that Barabbas is not the one to choose, still intended to crucify the Lord. And Peter preaches to them and says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did um, uh, through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You knew he was the child of promise. You knew he was the Lord of glory. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And through this greatest sin of all history, God accomplishes His greatest purpose in the redemption of mankind. Verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. Brothers and sisters, the way that God rules and overrules the carnality and wickedness of men is through the power of his resurrection. This is, as it were, the ace in the hole that God has and nobody else does. Doesn't matter what wicked men can do, it doesn't matter what Satan can do against the church, God is always the God of resurrection. Just as he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't look at the sins of Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob and think this puts them outside of God's purposes and this will render God's purposes void. No. God is the God of resurrection. The other mistake that we could make is that all these sins of Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob are justified because God overruled them to produce a good result. That's the other mistake we can make. It's a very common mistake. We see what Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob did, and we see that, well, yeah, they're lying, and yeah, Isaac is carnal, and yeah, Jacob's deceiving his father, but in the end, God worked it out. Remember what Jacob said to Pharaoh when he stood before him. Pharaoh says to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob says, the days of my years are 130 some odd, I don't remember the exact number, Short and bitter have been the days of my pilgrimage. Jacob paid for this the rest of his life. So the second mistake we could make is to think that all these sins and deceptions were justified. As Paul the Apostle says, God forbid. God forbid we would ever think that way. Because God is sovereign, we can sin. He says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In the same chapter, verses 15 and 16, he says, Do you not know that whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether to sin leading to damnation or to righteousness leading to eternal life? Here is the lesson from the story of Isaac. By faith... Blessing his sons. Do not fear. Do not fear. But as Moses told Israel, stand still and see the salvation of God. You you remember, if you go back and listen to the sermons, we we noted that Rebecca, Rebecca loses it in this situation. Her husband is going to bless the reprobate son. She knows Jacob is the right son. So she begins to pull her hair out 
She blasphemes and comes up with this deceptive plan. Don't do that. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He rules in heaven and earth. His king is on holy Mount Zion. And he laughs at all the schemes of the wicked who attempt to throw off the bonds of his kingdom. God's purposes cannot be resisted. Even when the patriarch is fat, blind, and wicked. The second lesson is not to sin. As I just mentioned. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Though you may see the promise slipping from your fingers. Though it may look as though God's word is not going to come true. Though like Rebecca you are desperate to secure a future for your covenant children. Though like Jacob you think your primary duty is to obey your mother. Do it not. Sin is never the right choice. Righteousness is always the right choice. And so, lambs of Christ, do not fear what the future may bring. You and I have true saving faith, I trust. And yet, that faith is blind. We don't know what the future brings. But do not fear. For your Father... The true source of the blessings of the covenant rules over the blindness of men. It is your Father's purpose to give you the kingdom of heaven. Fear not, O little flock, the foe who madly seeks your overthrow. In this faith, therefore, though blind to what may come, we walk. For the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and for your providence. We thank you, O Lord, that you rule among the nations of men. And there is nothing that can stay your hand, but that in every age, at every time, your purposes will be accomplished. Please strengthen our faith. Please give us repentance from our carnality. Please forgive us for our wicked intentions. Help us to walk as those who wait upon the Lord until you are pleased to show us your salvation. And we ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.